Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. So we're in week five of Kickstart. And so the first four weeks started with this concept that we need to have a proper perspective in how we see this world. Do we see God? Do we see others? How do we see them? And is it by chance that we might have the opportunity to see others and see ourselves as God sees us and others? And when we do, we have this proper perspective of life. It kind of eliminates a critical spirit. It eliminates the, the, the idea that let me find what's wrong with you before I find something right with you. I mean, we learned that, you know, the, the human brain finds, some, finds seven things wrong with somebody before we find one thing right because of a natural critical spirit that's birthed within us. And with the right perspective, we say past all of that and we see people that God loves, especially people that aren't easy to love, people that are radically different than us and people that have unique and special needs that are different than us. We have the right perspective. And then when we have the right perspective, we will indeed see people that God's put in our path intentionally. So now we have the perspective and now we have people which leads us to purpose and God's purpose. God is all about redeeming mankind from the messed up world that we've created to be. And his redemption plan is all about people. The greatest encouragement I can give you today is that when you woke up, according to Psalm 121, there was a God who never slumbers, who never sleeps, who was waiting on you to say, let's go play in my sandbox today where you're going to do some very cool stuff. And you can be a part of that. So we went perspective and people and purpose. And then we thought, man, wouldn't it be great if we followed the direction we learned in Nehemiah, that we learned in Habakkuk, that we learned from the, from the apostle Peter, from John, where we just write it down. What's the plan? What are we going to do? How are we going to be used? What's God going to do with the right perspective and people with the right purpose and plan? What do we do this final week as we put it into practice? So if you have your handout today, go ahead and look in the middle of that and you've got actually some fill in the blanks. I typically hate fill in the blanks because some of you guys, like tech fans, you're all about, I gotta fill in the blank and I don't hear anything until I fill in the blank and I write it really neatly. And then there's other folks like me that's like you write it and then a week later you thought, what in the world was that? It's hieroglyphics. And so this is for all of you and you'll be able to find all of those and you'll find much more including daily encouragement videos in the Sugar Hill Church app. So when you open the app, just hit resources. First thing that comes up is kickstart, you hit and there's 25 encouragement videos, five teachings, five workshops, and I encourage you to jump in and be a part of that. So today, when we look at how do we put this faith into practice, I want to start with this one thing, it's just kind of an umbrella, that when we attempt to put our faith into practice, we are going to find opposition. Have you ever noticed that when you're attempting to do something, especially something for the cause of Christ or something that seems like it can't be done, there's always somebody that's Eeyore that comes around, you'll never make it. You can't do it, right? I mean, don't you know those people? I mean, seriously, they are like dream poopers. They're everywhere. And, and what I've learned is the bigger the task that you try to put your practice of faith in, the greater that practice, the more opposition. So I'd ask you this question. If you're not facing any opposition in what you're doing, is it possible that you're about a good thing, not a God thing? Is it possible that what you're doing, it's good, but it's not God. It doesn't demand God's hand to be a part of it. You know, it's been estimated that 40% of the daily decisions we make are based on what habits we formed. 40% of the decisions we make happen like this, instantaneously, based on the habits that we have formed. And so when we talk about putting our faith into practice, for many of us, it's about putting in a new habit, a habit of practicing our faith. Now, 
If you're like me, I grew up in a church that was filled with rules. I grew up in a church that was all about don't drink this, don't wear that, don't eat this, don't do your hair this way, don't, all of the don'ts. That's the church I grew up in. And all of a sudden, later in life, I was introduced to a Jesus that says, I've done everything you need, now you need to live a do life. Don't live a don't life, go live a do life, because I've already done everything that needs to be done. Rest in me, abide in me, cling to me, walk with me, walk my way, and you can do this. I believe putting your faith into practice is literally saying, God, I'm going to trust you with today, and I'm going to be hopeful that tomorrow is better, and you are going to use me in your grand purpose and plan. Let's put that into practice. And when you do, all of a sudden our habits change because we don't see people as an annoyance, and we don't see them as an interruption to our life. We see them as God has placed them to put our faith into practice. And so today I want to take a look at a few Bible characters that might give us a picture of what that looks like. Now, I, listen, I get it. We've got a lot of folks in our church, and our church is relatively large and growing. And, and so when you have that, you've, you've got this sense that, all right, Chuck, I'm in for the hour-long Jesus thing on Sunday morning, but you don't understand, Jesus does not work for me Monday through Friday. Because if Jesus worked for me Monday through Friday, I'm telling you, it'd be a different workplace where I'm at, man. If, if Jesus showed up on my job site, it'd be a whole different deal, Chuck. Is it possible that you're to bring Jesus to your workplace? I mean, is it possible that rather than looking at your boss and say, what a jerk, maybe it's your job to be the one person that leads him to Christ? Is it possible that your, your practice might just be, I'm going to become an encourager rather than being a Debbie Downer? Is it possible that what God may want you to do is just be nice? I mean, you, I don't know about you, but for some of us, being nice is exhausting. Really, are, you, are, are any of you like me? I mean, really, just being nice, it hurts. Come on, let me see your hands. Be honest. You heathens. Now, you know, the interesting, the interesting thing is when we put our faith into practice, there are so many people we can learn from, like Abram. You know, in the Old Testament, over in, uh, over in the, the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 12, we read about this cat by the name of Abram. Now, you knew him later as Abraham. You know, Father Abraham and many sons, many sons and Father Abraham, that dude, right? So it's also the same dude who like later, later, later in his life, he and his wife are praying. They've never, couldn't have a child, couldn't have any babies. And they get a baby, they get Isaac. And God says, hey, tell you what I'm going to do. You're going to love this plan, Abraham. I want you to take your own one and only boy. And I want you to go three days from here. And I want you to take him up. And I want you to sacrifice him and kill him. And, and Abram is like, okay, sure. The Bible says next morning he goes and does it. And when he gets there, what happens? God spares the boy, but he honored the faithfulness. He honored the practice. But before all that happened, Abram is living in a place where in your entire life, you never moved more than three miles away from where you were born. But he also had a dad that, that didn't believe in God. He had a dad and he had a community that, that was about, all about pagan worship. They weren't about God. But Abram hears the voice of God, and God says in Genesis 12, he says, the Lord has said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. And you know what Abram did? He went. Can you imagine what the family thought? Abram, you are the biggest loser. Number one, God doesn't talk to people. Number two, there's no real God out there. Abram, you never leave home. And Abram said, you know, honey, pack the bags, we're out of here. But I want you to notice that that's a picture for you and I. God may not call you from your physical place, but God will always call you to two things. God will call you to action, and God will call you to grow in faith. 
He's going to call us to something, and are we going to answer like Abram did? You see, this practice that Abram put into place, it is going to greatly and significantly change you. It will greatly and significantly change, and it might disturb your daily routine. For those of you folks who kind of have a perfect life laid out, God gets involved, and he will mess you up. I swore I would never pastor a church. I mean, seriously, I mean, me and God riding down the road in my truck thinking, no, number one, I don't like pastors. Number two, church is not for me. I cannot do that. I really, God, no. There's no church on the planet that would tolerate me. And look at y'all. I mean, four, week, four years into this deal, we're stopping fun. Who knew? But it might bring you significant change. And I would say to you, it, it may also necessitate the fact that you grasp that it may not make sense to anybody but you. It may not make any sense to anybody but you. It's possible God's going to burn something in your heart that you don't have a solution for yet. It will most definitely cause you to be uncomfortable. When we answer and put our practice into faith, we put our faith into practice, you know what happens? It is going to be uncomfortable. Because you know what happens? When you're attempting to help people, you realize how messy people's lives are. Can I tell you, man, my life is a mess. My guess is yours is. I, I, every time I look at somebody, I think, now that dude, now he's got it together. You know what I realize? He's as whacked out as I am. I mean, seriously, if you swiveled your head around and looked at everybody in this room and you said, oh, wow, they really got it together. Let me give you a secret. No, they don't. Because if you think you've got your junk together, I'll promise you, you're not answering the call of God and you're not putting your faith into practice because when you do, it's messy. When Jesus came and he hung out with prostitutes, he hung out with murderers, when he hung out with thieves, what did the church say? How dare him? And you know what Jesus said? That's my peeps. Look what happens when, when those folks get involved. It's messy, but it's awesome. Abram's, yeah, I'll go. Let's do this thing. And then there's this dude, Moses. Moses is, well, let me read the scripture. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, it says, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness. He came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Through the, though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. And Captain Obvious Moses says, this is amazing. He says, why isn't this bush burning up? I've got to go see it. And when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him in the middle of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, here I am. And Moses replied, I hear I am. And what did God say? Don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. When you follow that practice, it is most definitely going to include divine necessity. If you're attempting to do something that's more than a good thing and something that's a God thing, at some point you are going to have to have a burning bush moment where you stop trying to explain God away and stop trying to control God and put him into your calendar, and there's going to be a divine moment that happens in your life. I, I want to give you this piece. I didn't say this at 930. It's not in my notes, but here's a free one, okay? I don't know anybody who sometime in their life, and maybe even the last week, where life had just beat the crud out of you. Man, your kids are driving you crazy. You don't have enough money. Your marriage on the rocks. The doctor said you got cancer. Whatever it is that life brought your way. I, I want to encourage you to do something that I, uh, I've done all week long. 
there's a, uh, there's a song out there called Good, Good Father. And it's sung by a group called House Fires. I, I put these headphones on and I listen to that song. When, when I feel like, okay, I cannot take one more step. Lord, you have got to build character in somebody else. You've got to give me a break today. There are times when I just need a moment of solitude and a moment of quietude, and I need to let those words seep into my soul that he's a good, good father. I've heard stories about him, but now I've experienced him, and I realize the divine necessity of following a holy God. I encourage you, find that moment of solitude and quietude. We follow that, it's going to seem so unusual, unachievable, but it'll always move you to a deeper faith. You ever heard this phrase, you're a mile wide and an inch deep? You ever heard that phrase? I, some of y'all have said that to, to me about, about our church. Let me just say this to you, thank you. Thank you so much. We got to baptize two more people this morning into faith in Christ because we were wide enough to let anybody of any shape, of any size, of any color, of any belief system to walk into this doors and say, welcome home. I'm so grateful we're that wide. Do I want us to grow deep? You bet. But I never want to grow deep without saying we're going to be wide open. Because what we're about is the purpose of God, which is the redemption of mankind. Let's never stop being that church. Let's never stop being that church. Then, of course, there's Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den, right? And the story on Daniel in the lion's den, by the time we get to verse 22 in chapter 6, you realize, so uh, Daniel has become a big shot. He's come out of captivity. Now he's a big shot with the king. All the dudes around the king are like, we can't let this dude become a big deal. So they go to the king and they convince him, you need a new law. The new law is nobody can pray to anybody but you. And when they do, you got to throw them into a den of lions, hungry lions, where they tear them up and have them for dinner. And how cool will that be? And so they make this law and, and the king is Darius. He's like, well, that's cool. Everybody's all about me. What, what? And so sure enough, Daniel goes and does whatever he does right after it's become law. He opens the windows of his apartment and he gets on his knees. He faces the east toward Jerusalem. He begins to pray, not in protest of the law, but it was a holy habit. It says that he had done this from the time of his youth. What he knew to do was to go to God. In times where you don't know what to do, he fell to his needs. You know what I found out about Daniel? It required great courage to come to God when the world said no. When everybody said stand, he got on his knees. If you remember the other story of his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when the whole world said for them to kneel, they stood. It took great courage. But it also took some holy habits. In chapter 6 and verse 22 of Daniel, notice it says, My God sent his angel. He shut the mouth of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, O king. And then he says in verse 23, all that happened because he trusted in God. And then, of course, there's David. I mean, what a whacked out dude. I mean, he's tending sheet, a ruddy little boy, and, and all of a sudden he's anointed the king of Israel. He kills a bear, he kills a lion. This is the same guy who became the man after God's own heart, he becomes king. But it's the same guy that looked down from, from his, of his flat, looked down, saw Bathsheba and said, man, she is smoking hot, I gotta have that girl. And so he does, and all of a sudden then he says, I'm gonna kill her husband because this is good. And you know what, all of a sudden God said, come on, dude, really, come on. But see, this is the same David that also slayed Goliath. 
Can you imagine? I mean, 40 days, this massive dude who probably hasn't bathed in his lifetime has got stuff all over his face. He's about 10 feet tall. I mean, he's a massive dude. He stands there in the Valley of Elah and he looks at the, at the armies of Israel and he says, you got nobody to come down? You send me anybody. Mano on mano, winner take all. And all of the people, the king of Israel, all of the men of Israel sitting up there saying, mm, no, any of that. Mm -mm. No. David shows up to bring a lunch bag for his brothers who's supposed to be at war. He looks at the big dude. He goes, what are you guys doing? And they said, well, listen, you think you can do better? Yeah, I'll take him. And to show you how bad things were, they were like, okay, you know, all five foot, 425 pounds of him, knock yourself out, bud. So he tries the king armor on. It weighs more than him. He takes a slingshot. He walks down. He grabs five smooth stones out of that little riverbed, looks up at Goliath. I want to make sure that you hear this because in 1 Samuel chapter 17, here's what David said. You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's army, the God of the armies of Israel whom you defiled. Today the Lord will conquer you. Now watch this. And I will kill you and I will cut off your head. That's a bad boy. I want him to play linebacker for the dogs. This guy got it. I mean, seriously, can you imagine? I mean, 10 foot. This guy's a buck 25 if he's anything soaking wet. You have messed with my God. Do, listen, I don't take this light. Now, look what he did. I want, I want to make sure you get it. He had great faith. He looked at him and he said, I, I, don't need all the, I don't need all the weapons the world has. I got everything I need here. He had pretty big boldness. He stepped into this boldness. I mean, this is nuclear-powered faith here. Hmm. And you know what happened? So when Goliath the giant criticized, insulted, and threatened, David did the right thing in spite of all the discouraging insults and all the fearful threats. And only God's opinion mattered to David. He had some kind of boldness. Scripture says, and then I'll give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel and everything assembled there will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give it to us. You know what David did? He slung that slingshot with one shot. He took that boy down and listened to me. He did what he promised. He took dude's own sword and he cut his stinking head off. I'm saying again, that is a bad boy. You know what made him that way? The boldness to believe God would do what he promised. The boldness and the faith to say, I'm jumping in. Well, what about Peter? Oh, my stars. Ready, fire, aim. Here's a dude that had never overthought anything, never early for anything, and always late for everything. Peter was an administrative nightmare. Peter had to have been to John what I am to binge, just a nightmare. Peter woke up every morning, what can we change today? John woke up every morning thinking, well, how can I keep him from changing something today? And old Peter, man, he's out there. What did Jesus say? You're going to deny me three times before that rooster crows. Well, you were with him, weren't you? No, you got somebody else, cock-a-doodle-doo. You lived with him, didn't you? No, 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 cock-a-doodle-doo. Well, you ate with him. You hung out with him, didn't you? No, no, no. You, you must be talking about my twin brother, cock-a-doodle-doo, three times. Jesus came back and looked at Peter, and you know what he said? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Three times he denied. Three times he was forgiven. 
anytime we put our faith into practice, we're going to make mistakes, we're going to fail. It's in our failure where God seems to do some of his coolest work. Some of you are like me, I've got an earned PhD in failure. Man, I can mess some stuff up. But along with that mistake comes sure forgiveness. I mean, Jesus always came back with forgiveness from the mistake, but then great trust. Remember, Peter was the same guy when Jesus is walking on the water. He says, come on to him. What if Peter doesn't even think about it? Everybody else like, dude, walking on water, no. I mean, they're looking for their life jacket. I mean, they, they want those floaties on their arms or something, you know? And Peter steps out like, yeah, let's do this thing. And sure enough, he does. It's a great trust. But then, of course, he can't miss the concept of Jesus. Jesus comes along and he says, this is the position that you are to assume. You're to assume the position of a servant. He says, listen, the, the son of God didn't come to be served. I've come to serve, to be a ransom. He said, if you're going to be great, you got to be a servant. I don't know anybody looked in the mirror this morning and said, I can't wait to be mediocre. You want to be great, you got to be a servant. He says, that's the position we're to assume, that of a servant. But he also says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20, son, 21, the, the role we're to take in Matthew 20, 27, it says the last will be first. Now, that doesn't make any sense to us. I mean, our Americanized faith is like, I got to have me number one. I got to be the biggest church, the baddest church. I got to have some slick music. I got to have some slick lights. I got to have a super cool hipster pastor. I, we got to do it. And your life, you know what? I, here's what Peter's saying. The role we take on is the last position. Jesus says, listen, there's where it is. I, I had an odd day yesterday. I preached a funeral at 11 and then officiated a wedding at 6. I saw two spectrums yesterday. In both cases, you, you know what I saw? I saw a man who assumed the lowest position through most of his life and God blessed so amazingly. Through the testimony of his life was, look what he did. I asked the room full of 300 people in the chapel yesterday, how many of you were touched by this man's life in some way? And three-fourths of the hands went up in that room. He assumed the position there. there. That couple I married last night, I, I, I watched them and I thought, you know, both of them understand what it is to take the lowest possible position and to serve and love. And then you recognize the power we have in Matthew 28, 18. Jesus said, I've got all authority in heaven and in earth, and I'm going to give that to you. Go do this in my name. If you're wondering, well, I can't do this. I just can't do it. I just don't know what to do. I, I believe what Jesus is saying is stop whining, suck it up, and go do it. You've given, I've given you all the power, all the authority. Why don't you just go put your faith in practice? Because if we'll take one step, one step in that direction, he will propel us another 40. He's just waiting on us. And then the promise that we cling to in Matthew 28, 20, you know, he says, Jesus will never leave us. He'll never hurt us. He'll never forsake us. And I look at that and I think, so if we're, if we're to be fair and mindful in our life and say, how am I going to put my faith into practice? Look at these, look at these positions. Look at what happens here. Look at what, what's going to happen. And here's what we learn. God has a plan, a purpose, a practice. He has people he wants you to have this perspective that you can do this. You can abide in Jesus and be normal and serve people. You can make a difference. You, little old you. And you say, well, Chuck, listen, you do not know what I was doing last night. Okay, it's probably good. But the same God who says, come on, let's do this, is the same God that saw you last night. He's not asking you to get your junk fixed up before you come to me saying, you bring it to me and I'll deal with that. 
I want us to always remember this as a church, okay? Listen, if you want to tweet something today, you want to post something today, this is it, all right? It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It is Jesus' job to forgive. It's God's job to judge. It's my job and your job to love. That's what we do. And when you put your faith into practice, you're saying, God, I trust you that not only can I do this, I can do it in love. I want to introduce you to my friend, Kitty Murray, who uh, is going to tell us a little bit about what Refuge Coffee is all about. But as we do, I want you to pay attention to this video. It tells you a little bit about her and a little bit about this ministry. Guys, go ahead and roll that. And Kitty, you come on up. It's amazing how powerful a cup of coffee shared over a table in the shade can be. My husband and I moved to Clarkston with this plan to just be neighbors. And the more we got to know our neighbors, the more we loved them. We began to notice several things. First, there's a need for jobs here. Because we're a community of refugees, the jobless rate is double the national average. And not only that, refugees often get the worst jobs available. When we are in Claxton, that's a majority of the Claxton people work in the chicken plant. We just started to pray about that, not ever thinking that we would have anything to do with the answer. But over time, we began to see that there was something we could do about it. The plan that evolved also met another need. There was no multi-ethnic gathering place in this community at all. So we started Refuge Coffee Company to meet those needs. To be a refugee is to have gone through a trauma. It's just a really tough place to be. And yet, we really don't view the people who work for us as victims. They don't act like victims. They don't think like victims. I'm able to make some, some cappuccino, some Americano, some heavy sticky. I was not away about that. Now, I'm very happy because day by day, I learn something new. Working with us and working in this context of hospitality through coffee, it's not only is a great job to have for a year, it's a job that sets them up for better jobs down the road. The track of Port Cove, they make a good team. And I can say thank you for them and they must keep it up. And after me, they can train other refugees to try to catch up in the new country who who receive us. This idea that God is a refuge is very practical. It refers to a people or a place or a tabernacle or a city where people who are oppressed can run. Why we do this? It's to create something that speaks of who God is for a people who may not know him yet. That's the foundation of refuge. This is Kitty Murray of Refuge Coffee Company. Yeah. She really is one of the coolest people I have ever met. That's her husband, Bill, over there. And no, it's not that Bill from Caddyshack. Can you imagine the jokes he's heard all of his life? That's pretty cool, because Bill's only about 30. 
Yeah, the Bill Murray is over here. So Kitty has got this truck that you saw out here, and I want to encourage you after the service, go buy a cup of coffee. Matter of fact, I would encourage you to grab uh, these mugs, use them on your desk and whatnot as a reminder. I'm a part of this. I believe there's like 12 bucks, two for 20, something like that. So why not go and get like a set of 10, share them with your office, and let it be a very cool deal, all right? So I, I know you can, and so you guys do that. It'd be great to support that. Kitty, tell us how you wound up in the coffee business. Okay. I love coffee, but even more than that, I love gathering around coffee with people. Um, and we moved to Clarkston on purpose, like your daughter yeah, did, yeah, yeah. Um, to live in that community. And I, it said it on the video, there's not a multi-ethnic gathering place for coffee there. And so I thought we need a coffee shop. Yeah. And I thought some young hipster would, should build one and do it. And, and, so, and God picked you. Eventually, I figured that out. It yeah. took a while. But you wanted um, to give it away to somebody. I mean, God burned oh, it in your heart, but it was burned in your heart to hand off somebody? To give to somebody else. And, um, and I, I didn't even talk about it at first because I just assumed it couldn't, it wasn't supposed to be me. And then Bill, my husband, said to me, you know, we had heard this quote that people grow into the conversations you create mm. around them. And he said, you know who keeps having the conversations? The common denominator in every conversation is you. And, and so I think it's supposed to be you. And over time, we began to, so to realize coffee that. coffee and connecting relationships and serving refugees. Now, it, tell me if I'm right. It, Clarkston, uh, Time Magazine and CNN have said it's the most diversified square mile uh, in the U.S. Time Magazine said the most diverse square mile. CNN said the most diverse square mile in the world. In the world. Mm -hmm. So you've got, you've got hundreds, literally, of people groups, most mm -hmm. of them refugees who have been pulled out of war-stricken and poverty-stricken areas. And the U.N. basically placed most of them in Clarkston, Georgia. Well, not most of them, but many in Clarkston. Yeah, so 60% yeah. of Clarkston's wow. population, which is around 10,000, um, I'm, I'm fudging facts yeah, a little yeah. bit, but that's close are refugees, 60%. Wow. And Clarkston is the most densely populated city in all of Georgia. Wow. So it's so really dense. 40 minutes south of here mm -hmm. is the world. Yeah. And yeah. So, uh, so God gives you this white hot why that I've got to fix something in Clarkston and God, I want to give it to some young, cool hipster kid. And basically everybody around you, including a few hipsters said, well, why don't you do it? Yeah. And then, and if I have a minute to tell a yeah. quick story, I have a really good friend in Clarkston from Somalia. Mm -hmm. She's a Somalian, she's the granddaughter of a Somali king. She wow. became a Christian, uh, long story, but eventually witnessed the murder of her husband and her 10 children. They went back to Somalia for a funeral, and she, she's one of those women. She's joyful, and yet there's a river of sorrow in her as well. Mm -hmm. and, she kind of wakes up every day and says, you know, God, I'm changing your pocket. How do you want to use me? And mm. so she wears herself out. She's not a victim, but she cares for victims so vigorously that mm. she's always wearing herself out. So I took her to a coffee shop in Decatur, four miles down the road from Clarkston, and we sat with our cappuccinos, and she looked around and said, we'll never have anything like this in Clarkston. And she wasn't complaining, because she doesn't complain. Yeah. She was just observing. And I think that's what finally tipped me over the edge. Mm. That, you know, what I heard from her was, well, 
people don't think we're worth this. Wow. And our community is beautiful and so worth it. Really it really is. So. Yeah. But, you know, she, she was right. Uh, Starbucks is never going to open something in Clarkson, Georgia. Probably not. Not anytime uh, soon. They've got something better now. Uh, they've got Refuge Coffee Company and the big red truck showing up and uh, gathering people. You know, one of the things we say here at Sugar Hill Church, one of our values, we believe in openly speaking on the things of God, that when we go into a world and we just start talking about mm -hmm. God in your normal conversation, God propels that to a whole nother level around coffee and Clarkston filled with refugees that are trying to figure life out. What a great place for us to be able to serve and minister and care over a cup of coffee. That sounds so much like, okay, I can abide in Jesus and be normal. Sure, yes. Yeah, so, yes. so what yes. is, what's the bigger picture beyond the truck? Or is there one? Yeah, there is. There is. I think we, our refugees that work for us, our trainees, are, they're actually over-educated and mm -hmm. over-qualified for the job. Uh, they work with us for a year, and they have, um, they get mentored, they get job coaching, and they get classroom time, mm. but um, it's to prepare them to move on to yeah. something yeah. even better because they're, they're amazing people. Wow. Um, and we see, we thought we would do a truck and then a shop and then possibly a roasting operation, but we think we're gonna do a truck, a truck, a truck. Yeah, <laughs> And maybe yeah. another truck before we build a shop. Cool. It's enabled us to engage the community. It's enabled us to tell the story around Atlanta um, well, it's a captivating story. I mean, really, really just when I heard it, I thought to myself, we, we've got to be a part of that. I mean, seriously, 40 minutes south of here, God brought the world to us. I mean, think about it. Mm -hmm. How dare us get on a plane to fly somewhere else? We're not willing to drive 40 minutes south. I mean, there's just something wrong with that. And I would say to you as a church, we, it's not just kitty and coffee and mugs. It, it is real life, honest, goodness people that are dying to have a conversation that leads to helping them and encouraging them and walking with them and letting them finding the love of Christ. And you guys are doing that day after day after day. And can I say, can I say two things yeah, before, I, before I forget? Because I forget a lot. Um, first, thank you. How was the coffee? Was it good? Okay, good. good. I hope so. Thank you for standing in the rain to get it. And oh, is it thank you for outside? wearing the t-shirts. I think so. Okay, cool. Um, and thank you. Thank you for partnering. And the other thing is... Um, those conversations, if you come and you have them, you will be blessed. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, we're called to be a blessing, but boy, do we get blessed yeah. in the process. So you, you go through all of this. What do you think has been the single biggest challenge to, to living this out? I mean, when you put your faith into practice, what has been a couple of the biggest challenges you faced? You know, I think if you have a white hot why, yeah. you often have a white hot fear, and mm. I'm the poster child for fear. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm scared every day. And so part of it is just taking, you know, that first step was scary, but then the first step leads to a series of steps. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me personally, the biggest challenge is fear. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. will we have enough to make payroll, which Praise God, we definitely have. But, you know, those kinds of fears. And then, oh, what if we become just this cool hipster hangout on the edge of Atlanta that we doesn't really engage the community well? Or, um, and none of my fears have been realized no. uh, yet, and they haven't. But just for me, battling the fear of taking yeah. those steps and just living courageously. Hmm. 
So after you've done all of this and you've, you've taken this huge leap of faith, which sounds a lot like this teaching earlier because it makes no sense that it you does. and Bill would do this. It like zero sense. No. Um, I actually think you're crazy. But, yeah, um, we are. <laughs> would you do it again? I mean, would you literally, would you, after everything you've learned, would you do it again? Absolutely, in a heartbeat. But why would you do it again? Um, we took a 24-hour retreat with our team, got back last night, and uh, I'd do it for the relationships, mm. if not for any other reason. Yeah. I would do it for the, the, um, the beauty of those relationships. Yeah. It's really cool on our staff. Uh, we have a Canadian, a Congolese, an Eritrean, and a Syrian, and then two Americans. Wow. Uh, and it's just this, it, you just see the beauty of the body of Christ. And yeah. so I would do it for that reason alone. Oh, cool. Well, there's a message in here for us. I love what you and Bill are doing, but it, it makes me think, what if a church who really believe the Bible was a big deal, that Jesus is the biggest deal, and the best way you show that is to serve people in need here and around the world. What if a church said, wow, that whole world is 40 minutes away, and there's a partner already trying to do this incredible relationship building that's built just around a cornerstone that tomorrow can be better. Hope is alive, and that hope is found in a God who loves you. But what if... What if little Sugar Hill Church were to say, I, we, we're not doing church like we've always done church. I'm not going to sit here and just write a check. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to serve people. I'm going to put my faith into practice. I'm going to allow God to give me a whole new perspective of people that I don't understand, I don't get, they don't look like me, but God bursts in me this white hot why that says, this is what you do because it's what I do. A God who says, my purpose is the redemption of mankind. To say to people who are, who are just burdened down, the refugees have been torn out. Most of them PTSD suffers from war-stricken areas. That, God, you would put me in the middle of that. And I believe God's saying, yes, this is your burning bush. This is your lion's den. This is your Goliath. Go take the first step. I believe Jesus saying, come on. You're my church. I didn't call you to sing. I didn't call you to sit. I called you to put this faith into action and put it to practice. He is a living God. He is not sitting doing nothing. He's stirring in us deep in the crevice of our soul. He's saying, go do this. You can do this. Let's be that church. Father, we love you. We trust you that the Goliath before us, you will slay. That the water before us, you've already walked on. The lions that are waiting on us, you've shut their mouth. God, today, use us to put our faith into practice. And God, just 40 minutes away from us, how dare us not go serve the world? God, we repent and we're sorry. But tomorrow, today, this day, I take a step forward because I trust you, I believe in you. The courage and the boldness you've given us, we step out in that faith. In the name of Jesus, our King, our Savior, and our Lord. And everybody said, amen. 
Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.